Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks so much for those of you who have already picked up your copy of my best-selling book, Breaking the News, which is the perfect gift for everyone on your Christmas list and Hanukkah list as well, plus Kwanzaa. Will Joe Biden vanquish Vladimir Putin the way he vanquished Corn Pop? Today we break it down. Big Joey is getting mocked not only by the Chinese, but also now by the Russians for his geopolitical half measures. Meanwhile, in Biden's America, the smash and grab continues across U.S. cities as the media ignore that this epidemic is only happening in Democrat-run areas. Dr. Fauci does his best Scrooge impression laughably and horrifyingly, suggesting that you actually ask your family members to show their vaccination papers at Christmas. Someone please get this man a lump of coal and perhaps a subpoena. Plus, the woke world keeps dunking on themselves. Black Lives Matter apparently still supports hate crime huckster Juicy Smoulier, and maybe, just maybe, calling people Latinx or Latinx is actually misgendering Hispanic Americans. Interesting. Interesting to think about. And today, a big bonus for you, exclusive clips of Donald Trump, who sat down with our Washington uh, Bureau Chief Matt Boyle. The full interview with him will air Saturday on Breitbart News, Saturday at 10 a.m., on the SiriusXM Patriot channel and the SXM app. Our guest today is Hillsdale College President Larry Arn, one of the most important intellectuals in the country. And we talk about his efforts to reclaim the scientific method from the new woke religion that swallowed up our, our, our entire academic culture, it seems, and really so much more. But first, I do want to tell you about a really important sponsor that I've cared about for a really long time, which is AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. They're a conservative advocacy and benefits organization that has more than 2 million members and counting. AMAC has become one of the most significant conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to, to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. Stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. Join us today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. Speaking of January 6th committee in the Congress, which is something that is mostly designed to attack Republicans and to make their lives difficult, has been trying to uh, uh, subpoena uh, people and get them to testify and get them to hand over documents. And some of it's legit, some of it's not legit, but most of it isn't because I don't think January the 6th was nearly the conspiracy the Democrat left and the MSNBC crowd wants it to be. Um, but we've got some good fight back from Mark Meadows, who's on the broadcast earlier this week. Again, another plug. If you want to listen to the new podcast, you can download that as well, as well as the SXM app. We spoke to Mark Meadows uh, and he's suing Nancy Pelosi and every member of the January 6th committee. And he's suing uh, them for what he claims is uh, unconstitutionally usurping executive branch authority. I have no clue if it's a good suit or not. Again, I plead the fifth on that one as a non-lawyer. Um, but you can read his case at the front page of Breitbart.com 
um, right now. It'll be there throughout the day. I'm sure Joel Pollock wrote it up, but I do like the fight back. Just We have to make people's lives difficult who are trying to make lives difficult for people who are uh, simply trying to advance the America First cause. You don't have to be a super fan of Mark Meadows. You don't have to agree with him politically, but I do think that we're certainly at a moment now where the left it uses every tool in the toolkit to make it difficult to be a conservative politician, uh, to be a conservative thought leader, etc. And it, it is a long past time we stop playing nice with the people who are just trying to harass us. I say this with lots of firsthand experience where being, you know, editor of Breitbart, it doesn't matter what, uh, who you are as an individual, you're harassed constantly and you, your business is undermined constantly because the left sees the ends justifying the means and they're playing to win. They're playing to win. So I always like the fight back content. And I know you guys do as well because we see the numbers at Breitbart.com and it's pretty, pretty overwhelming. The fight back content is A plus, some of your favorite stuff. All right, uh, Dr. Fauci is trying to prove to the world now that he is utterly certifiable, um, and he is now recommending that you require your holiday guests to prove your vaccination status. Do you believe that? It is what he has said, uh, and he has now said that it, you must, or he recommends at least, that if they invite people to their homes quote, to essentially ask and maybe require that people show evidence that they are vaccinated. So you're asking your family members. You should ask your family members if they have their vaccine card. He doesn't just want you to enforce vaccinations. He said, maybe show your proof. Show Have your family show your papers. What planet did they find this guy? And I will tell you... Um, I have. I'm very surprised. I am very surprised if this is not a theme. If going forward, why people are leaving this guy in power? Because he seems to get more unhinged by the minute. He also said, by the way, that the definition of fully vaccinated will change to three shots. I have less of a problem with that. Because, of course, we knew that was coming. So that one is not one that I, I am surprised by in the slightest. I am surprised that he was actually suggesting that family members show their papers because, again, this is not going to get more people vaccinated. But he doesn't care if more people get vaccinated at this point. It's pretty obvious. Uh, how many of you are more inclined to get vaccinated because Dr. Fauci says you should enforce your family to show your papers? And by the way, which Americans are listening to that? Like, are, are people listening? You can't just take their word for it? it. Is fostering a level of distrust. If you had to go to your family members and you don't just take their word for it, you say, you got to actually, hey, get your QR code out. Show me your status. Maybe uh, someone will use a fake arm to get a fake jab or get a real jab and a fake arm like we saw recently. Boy. Um the Senate voted to repeal Biden, Biden's uh, federal vaccine mandate and the 52 to 48 vote Manchin and Tester joined Republicans in this also yesterday. So they don't want private businesses um, to have to enforce a vaccine mandate. Again, this is, is sort of symbolic. This is not one where I don't think this has really any sway. 
But uh, obviously mainstream America does not like this stuff. It's only the totalitarian wing of the Democrat Party, which is most of the Democrat Party right now. Let's not be mistaken on that. But still, that's maybe, I don't know, in the 30% of people like this sort of top-down anti-federalism. And still, though, the Senate pushing back on, again, I don't know what effect that's going to have, legally speaking, but I still like it. I still like the effort. Perhaps this sort of stuff is why you're seeing some poll data like a Wall Street Journal poll showing Hispanic voters evenly split between the parties now. Um, uh, Of course, by the way, though, this includes a lot of Hispanics who've been in the country for generations. So the newer ones obviously are going to vote more with Democrats. And this is just part of life is that people get older, they get wiser and they start voting Republican. But there are some positive signs in the polls that suggest that some of the country is moving to, as the Democrats become more left-wing, realizing the only other option is the gigantic tent, the huge tent with the capital Y that Trump built in the Republican Party is probably the best place for you. And then again, we need to fight amongst ourselves all the time. A lot of Republicans are consistently disappointing. Others are often disappointing. Others are sometimes disappointing. That's all true. There's very few. In fact, I can't think of any. And if there are any, it's really on one hand of people who are consistently A-plus all the time on the right. But on the left, they're just, you can't vote for them ever. So I think some Hispanics are seeing that. I think that's a good thing. And not to mention there's a big contingency of Cubans who are way ahead of the curve because they hate communism. And when you've got people like Soleil Almarova, who is a literal communist, who is being nominated to a top banking post, top currency post, and then the media lies about who she is, then you start getting some people who might start thinking, wait a minute, something up, something going on with this Democratic Party. These are the people they're appointing? Uh, The New York Times lied about Soleil Amarova yesterday, saying that the Republicans torpedoed her nomination because she was born in the Soviet Union. Now, it did not help that she was born in the Soviet Union, but last I checked, I thought we were pro-Russian, right? We're all Putin's puppets, right, New York Times? You got, you got uh, the Pulitzer Prizes for pointing that out. Um, but it has little to do with anything. It is the fact that she's got a history of uh, sympathies towards the Communist Party, and not to mention that she did not disclose a lot of her background and a lot of her research, and not to mention the fact that she talked about uh, uh, literally federalizing all banks and having your basically you, you're depositing your money in the, into the Federal Reserve, which is really weird. She called for bankrupting the oil and gas industry. Those are the reasons why she got torpedoed. You can't say that stuff and get a top appointment. You can say that stuff and be a pundit on MSNBC, but you can't be in charge of our currency if you have those opinions. Um, and the New York Times, of course, lied about it. They often lie about everything. One of the hottest stories yesterday, if not the hottest story in the country, was that the New York Times' Christmas tree had caught fire. Or did it catch fire? Or was did someone light it on fire because of, you know, arson, because they hate Fox News? Um, New York Times reported that it caught fire. I, I, needless to say, it almost certainly will be determined that it was arson, someone who hates Fox. So there's a suspect in custody for starting the fire. And I'm guessing what we're going to see as uh, um, time goes on, that this was intentional. It wasn't just a spontaneous 
catching a fire because, you know, there's not a lot of um, uh, campfires or um, people having barbecues right near this gigantic tree near in the foyer near the Fox News headquarters. But New York Times has caught fire. Um, so again, some of this stuff, I think some of the lying, I think, is getting to some communities. Not to mention, I mentioned this earlier on the broadcast, how the left insisting that uh, Hispanics and Latinos insist on being, are, 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 I'm sorry, Hispanics and Latinos do not want to be called Latinx or Latinx. If you want to be, uh, if you want to use the affectation, I prefer Latinx. Um, they don't like the idea of their language being anglicized by arrogant liberal elites in America. Their language is includes the scientific gendering of words. Not to mention, it sounds much nicer. The gendering of words is something that actually is a very beautiful cadence to it, and the English language is not a particularly beautiful language. We don't have any sort of claim to uh, um, for for being clear. It's not a particularly clear language either. And we're sitting around, and we're going to change people's languages that they've had for thousands of years because Ibram X. Kendi likes it. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez... Does she even like it? Maybe she doesn't even like it because it's so illogical. I was thinking about this um, yesterday that if you are, if you misgender someone, if you call a man a woman or a woman a man, or more importantly, if you call a man who wants to be a woman a man or a woman who wants to be a man a woman, you're in trouble. You've misgendered that individual. But now what we're doing is we are taking individuals who are clearly men, clearly women, and have been that way. And we're now acting as though they are a Q or a T by calling, by adding the uh, X at the end of their names. So instead of referring to a Latina woman who wants to be a Latina, we're now calling her a Latinx woman because we're woke or something you're actually misgendering that individual what if you're the watch this one what if you're a man a, a, a latin man a latino and you want to be a woman so you actually want to be latina you don't want to be a latinx so you're still being misgendered so even if you're a trans person you're being misgendered because you don't want to be a latinx you want to be a woman in that case, you would be want to be a Latina. This is why it's so confused, and the left loves the confusion, but it is a reason why probably there's this big pushback that's taking place. People don't like it. So I think the misgendering angle is pretty pretty, pretty amusing, and also uh, probably partially why only I think about 2% of people actually like that who are Latina or Latina. Um, Gavin Newsom in California says California will become an abortion sanctuary if Roe v. Wade is overturned. You know what it's called, Gavin? It's called federalism. It's called federalism. Letting the states actually be able to have their own rules. And I'm kind of glad he said that in a way because we all know that if something happens, particularly with this case that was argued before the Supreme Court um, uh, last week that we discussed, this abortion case, if it does overturn Roe v. Wade, which again, I'm not holding my breath, but if it does, then everyone should stop freaking out because then it will just go back to the states and then the states can deal with it. 
And for the time being, at least, you know, of course, the pro-life movement will always be active and will always fight for um, a nascent human life and will fight against the vanity abortions that make up the vast, 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 vast majority of our abortions. But for the time being, the rules just go back to the states. And the states can decide whether or not you want to slaughter the unborn in the womb. And if you want to do that, like they do in California, then you'll be allowed to. And if you happen to live in Mississippi or Alabama and you want to slaughter the unborn, you're going to have to drive to a different state. And that's how it's going to go. Or you can fly to a different state. And then you can execute the child at that state. So just know if you are into that sort of thing, um, first of all, I recommend reflecting on it for a little while. Not to be condescending at all, but I do. I do literally recommend you reflect on it for a while. Um, but then when you're done, then you can feel free to move to a place that has those policies. The same way that if you're on the right and you don't like um, uh, the illegal immigration being prioritized and you don't like high taxes and uh, you don't like mask mandates, you can move to places that don't have those things. That's part of the brilliance of why it's the United States of America. And it is a one of the deepest flaws that we have in our country right now that we need to deal with post-haste, which is that we need to um, uh, we, we, we need to return to federalism at a more robust level and move away from the top-down totalitarian U.S. government. Speaking of mass mandates, airlines now, American and Delta, are requiring you to don masks between bites and sips. There has not been a lot of outbreaks that we are aware of from airplanes because airplanes... Uh, happened to stumble upon one of the keys to keeping the virus at bay, which is terrific ventilation because, you know, it's a cigar tube, so they have to cycle air very quickly. And this is one of the the quickest ways to slow the spread, unlike the anti-science masks. So the reason why airplanes were one of the first places to open up 100% capacity, we could be crammed in right next to individuals who might be sick with coronavirus, before we had vaccines and before we had um, a robust testing, which maybe we don't even technically have robust testing. In a lot of ways, we're getting lapped by much of the rest of the world when it comes to testing. Um, but even then, you're allowed to go on a plane, sit with people, and it was very weird. It was very weird when we were still unaware of uh, some of the patterns with the virus that you were allowed to go and sit in a plane and uh, you know cram next to a bunch of strangers who, who might be sick. Why is that? It's a little thing called ventilation. Another one of those things you can add to the list that we never talk about or don't talk about at a adequate level. Um, and it's something I recommend to all of you if you are having a Christmas and you don't want to check vaccine passports and you are still concerned about the virus itself or you have you know, some vulnerable family members, uh, get some airflow going. Get some fans going. Open some windows up. And if it's not too freezing, you know, keep it flowing in and out. So that's actually a good lesson for how to avoid the pandemic, but it doesn't matter. Airlines going to make you uh, literally pull the mask up between bites. The airlines being disappointing, I, I got to tell you, it, it's either right. W- once we, you know, build our own Facebook and Twitter, which we're struggling to do, our own YouTube, once we get that done, can we build our own airline? Because I, I bounce back and forth between which of the three major airlines I hate more. 
And whenever I'm booking my flights, it's always a matter of which one do I hate hate least that day. A lot of woke companies uh, out there, and this is a, a huge opportunity for any conservative-minded entrepreneurs. Speaking of Kellogg's, which has uh, boycotted Breitbart, and we boycotted them back, basically. Extremely far-left company. Their stock tanked because their labor talks are not going well. They're being accused of unfair treatment of their laborers. Their labor union is fed up with them. Extremely woke company that apparently doesn't treat their workers very well. Which is a common thing. I notice this a lot in the post-Black Lives Matter area uh, era. Is that a lot of the same businesses that are the most woke publicly are the most unfair to their workers um, in, in, in practicality. And I have myriad examples. Amazon is the most obvious. They fund BLM. They cut big checks to Van Jones. Jeff Bezos does. But then, you know, they make their employees urinate in bottles because it's, it's inefficient for them to use the restroom. At least that's how the, uh, that's, that's what uh, is, is said of them. I say as a caveat for purely legal purposes. Um, a lot of, a lot of woke companies are struggling right now and, and, and not struggling, I think in terms of their business, but struggling in terms of trying to maintain a narrative. And that's not really something that is their role in general. More stuff at Breitbart.com that you can check out. Newsom uh, on California explaining smashing grabs as a, a, not a big deal because Texas actually is worse crime. It's not true. We'll just gaslight you. Just lie to your face as he so often does. In the meantime, California Safeway is fortifying its stores. So you're starting to see massive amounts of deployment of security in order to prevent the smashing grabs. Which all of that, all those costs are passed on to consumers. So if you think your grocery store uh, prices are higher, of course they're going to go up. If you need to deploy more resources to keep the store secure, makes sense. Uh, Russia celebrated the call between Biden and Putin. Not a surprise. Biden doing some saber rattling with Putin, which is not safe. And he says that we're not going to deploy troops yet to the Ukraine border. But he says he'll go with NATO, which means that who knows? I, I would not put it past Biden to start some war to make some sort of political statement because he's part of the establishment, which is the military industrial complex at this point. He's not just a Democrat. He's an establishmentarian. And this is what the establishmentarians do when things aren't going great for them. They start a war. This has been the case with every president other than uh, Donald Trump. So be aware of that, that that is a legit possibility. And I don't find it particularly safe or comforting that Biden is saber-rattling with Russia, which is maybe the biggest, nu- the biggest nuclear power other than the United States. So keep that in mind. Uh, Biden is being a chicken hawk at the moment. Uh, none of his threats can be taken seriously at the moment. But don't think he's not crazy enough to do something stupid like get us into another war because he doesn't like what the media cycle is in the United States. 
All right, speaking of President Trump, he was interviewed yesterday by Matt Boyle, our Washington political editor, and we'll have the full interview for you on Breitbart News Saturday on this station um, with Matt, 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturdays. Also, it'll be in the SXM app as well. Um, but we have some clips of it, which I have not even heard yet, but I did ask the producers to grab a few if they could, and so we could play some of them. Let's uh, Let's do that. Okay, let's go. Let's play... Um, 1A, Mr. Paul. Well, I got him elected because when I endorsed him and helped him with his commercials and the other stuff, I got this guy elected. And uh, I regret I didn't run somebody in the primary talking about Mitch McConnell. because he's been terrible. Look, he's now giving it away with the debt ceiling. He could have used the debt ceiling to get rid of Bill Back Worse, and he could have used it, and he would have won. It's a powerful thing. He gave it away today for nothing. He got nothing from it. And he also, breaking up the bill was a disaster because it made it much easier to get this catastrophe that's getting ready to come. They're not going to be stopping it because if you kept it together, it was tougher. And then, of course, as you know, it's tougher to get the votes. Then, of course, as you know, he gave him a two-month extension. What was that all about? And that gave them time to get their act together, and they did. And they'll probably be passing this other one, and I would say – more than probably, it's going to be uh, almost definitely pass it. And with the debt ceiling, he could have killed the other one. He could have said, no debt ceiling. We're not going to go along with it unless you unless you stop with the Build Back Worse bill. And uh, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Even with the wall, you know, we had the wall almost finished. It took two and a half years of litigation by mostly the Democrats, 11 different lawsuits. And we won them all. But it took two and a half years, so we built it, and I was another three, four weeks it would have been finished, and they decided not to build it. He should have said with the infrastructure bill, and that's the infrastructure bill because there's very little infrastructure, so I call it the infrastructure bill because there's only 11% infrastructure. But they could have said just for the asking, we're not going to give you those 19 votes. They gave, gave him 19 votes. What a shame, including McConnell. And he should have said you got to finish the wall, otherwise we're not going to do it. And they would have done it. Uh, interesting. So a uh, good good analysis, I think. And you know, McConnell was uh, had insulated himself from primaries very well with doing a good job on the judges, and so he got away with just about everything else. Uh, you guys might know our history with at Breitbart. We're not big fans, Mitch McConnell. And I say that meaning we're not fans of Mitch McConnell at all, um, but he did something very clever, which is he held the line of the judges, and that meant the donors love him, and that means that he can get away with a lot, and he has. So he's been pretty mediocre on everything other than the judges, and uh, he's still protected himself with a lot of longevity, which you have to give him begrudging credit on that because it's tough to maintain power. All right, let me play one or two more before we go to a break. And here is he is, 1B. I think this is a reaction. I think it was Dana Milbank at the Washington Post who said the media is actually tougher on Biden than Trump, which is uh, insane. I wrote a book on the subject called Breaking the News, the perfect Christmas gift for everyone on your list. Let's play this, 1B. Well, it is laughable. You know, we've done things that nobody's ever done. Uh, peace in the Middle East, we would have had that also. But we had four countries sign and important countries that we would have we would have had peace. The Abraham Accords, it's called, and so many mm -hmm. different things. And, you know, I, I will say at the end, people are starting to see we, we did a massive amount of work. And whether it was military or taxes or, you know, all the different things we did. And we had a great economy with no inflation. 
And you know, and I did it twice because I had to rebuild it after COVID hit the world, and it hit the re- the world was hit actually relatively harder than us. I mean, by a lot. So no, I think that uh, it's not even a contest. I think they they're treating him with kid gloves, and you know why? It's so much damage has been done to our country, and this new bill, this build back worse bill, is just a disaster. It's a disaster for the country. Uh, let's play one more. I got one C, Mr. Ball. Roll it. It took in billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars from China. Nobody ever else took in anything. But, you know, we we never talked about Taiwan. We never had a problem with Ukraine in terms of a problem like you have now where, you know, could be very well could be an ev- invasion. And, you know, that stuff was not on the table. We had a, I got along very great, really great with Putin and with uh with President Xi and with all of them. I got along very good with Kim Jong-un, but uh, they understood they couldn't do any of this stuff. And now they're doing things that are unthinkable. You look at bombers flying over Taiwan all the time. I mean, constantly major bombers, big numbers of bombers flying over Taiwan. That didn't happen with us. They understood they couldn't do anything about that. And they wouldn't have out of respect for me and out of respect for the country. Now they're doing it like it's like uh, on a daily basis. And if you look at Ukraine, what's going on there, and now you look at Iran, we ended the Iran deal. They would have made a deal with me within one week after the election. We would have had a deal with Iran. And now it's uh, just terrible. They're, They're heading toward a nuclear weapon. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed everything is getting more expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008 with a government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years, and inflation is certainly here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So, how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help you move your IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market and into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, and they have thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, this is my favorite part, as you know. They will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660. Or text ALEX to 65532. Again, that's 866-670-7660. Or text ALEX to talk a big game about fighting back in the culture wars on the academic front, but no one walks the walk more than Dr. Larry Arn. Uh, he is a honest to goodness intellectual and academic who is leading up Hillsdale College, which isn't just some sort of a protest vote against the woke establishment academy. It's actually a great school in its own right, and they do a lot of important work, and they're constantly thinking ahead. Uh, in terms of how they can educate the next generation of Americans and provide a safe haven for families who 
you know, kind of like this country for where they can send their young people uh, to get educated. And he's always a, a leading light on not just uh, the cultural and academic issues, but he also is a clear eye politically as well. And he's always a pleasure when he's on the show. So we welcome him to the podcast for the first time. Let's roll my interview with Dr. Larry Arn. And Hillsdale has a new academy for science and freedom that is just launching. And Dr. Arndt's here to talk about it. Now, Dr. Arndt, is it safe to say that this is a direct response to the clear attack on scientific inquiry that we've seen over the last year and a half in this country? That is exactly what it is. And the, and the clarity of the attack is itself shocking. Um, they, um, and good morning, by the way. It's always good to be with you. Um, yeah, these, so these three doctors who are very, they're top of the field, they're at Stanford, Stanford, and Harvard, and their names are Bhattacharya, Atlas, and, and Kulldorff, and they uh, took a stand against these lockdowns, and the lockdowns, they argue and explain, violate 75 years of established protocols for a pandemic. And if it's a very highly communicable disease, you can't stop people from getting it. All you can do is find out who's going to die from it and, and focus the protection on them. They call it focus protection. And the interesting thing is it's not a novelty. It's, it's what we've always done. And they had 900,000 people sign this declaration, 50,000 of them are medical professionals. And the thing is they can't get on Twitter and YouTube. And and these guys are they come under pressure, you know, elite academic institutions, and and that's so we can keep up the pretense that there's a consensus about these lockdowns, and and that you know and that was enforced. And so uh, Martin Koldorf said to me on the phone one time, he said, "I'm ashamed to be a scientist these days." So this what this is about is to try to restore. Uh, science, which is not policy, right? That's different. Uh, science is to observe and learn and state the truth. And then it's for others to apply that to the practical situations that are in front of us, which are always different and can never be settled by science alone. And that's what's, that's the trouble. We're, we're falling, in my opinion now, we're falling into the danger of a scientific despotism. And that's something Winston Churchill warned about all his life. One thing that has been very striking to me over the course of not just the pandemic, the pandemic certainly accelerated this trend, but we've moved away from the scientific method, which is where you are allowed to have a hypothesis, but then you're supposed to test it and then draw your conclusion after the test. And once you've had the results, you're free to go back and test the results again when the circumstances change. Uh, this is literally called the scientific method. And now we're at a point where just last week, Dr. Fauci, who has been the uh, government and bureaucracy's uh, spokesperson for their coronavirus responses, literally said he speaks on behalf of science and attacks on him personally are attacking science. Uh, how did we go so far away so quickly? Because I remember when I did science projects, Dr. Arn, when I was a kid, which is not too long ago. Uh, the scientific method was king. That was the whole point, and now we're where we are. Yeah, and it's the, the decisive thing about the scientific method is an accurate description of how it works. And then the second thing is you publish your results so that others can attempt to replicate them. 
Mm. And it's a process that goes on all the time. And actually in science, there's never anything except a model to be tested. And if enough of the tests fail, then test, uh, then come up with another model. And that's how we learn, right? And we establish the truth of things. Uh, and, you know, you don't, you don't have to wait for conclusive results because like in the, in the Jay Bhattacharya is, I mean, these, these three men, by the way, they're just, I got to know them because they helped me keep the college open when the bureaucracy was trying to close it. And we discovered, you know, it was a kind of a battle on legal front and on, on expert front and epidemiology and I went looking for information because, first of all, I didn't want to invite the students back to college if they were going to die. As I tell them, if you die, it will be very inconvenient to me. But, but I, I, on the other hand, I'm hired to have college. That's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm supposed to try to find a way to do it. And I think that I did, and I was prepared to bear the responsibility for the decision. But the decision cannot be made on epidemiology alone. Suicide rates have rocketed up among children and adolescents and college students. And there's just an enormous body count from all of this. And then standing in front of the country is a guy who's an expert on one thing. You know, by the way, if he is really an expert on that, because what he's been doing for the last 45 years is fighting his way to the top of a large bureaucracy. Correct. But to the extent he's an expert on that one thing, to that extent he can't be an expert on other things, and other things are also relevant. And and that you know how do you make a decision? That's described in Aristotle, practical judgment. There's a wonderful summary of it in a letter that Winston Churchill wrote to H. G. Wells in 1901 when Winston Churchill was 27 years old, and he says, "Expert knowledge is narrow knowledge." And the, a better guide than that in a practical decision is the ordinary judgment of a plain man who only knows what hurts. And, and then he says, what do politicians do? They weigh the evidence of competing experts, and they weigh the evidence of competing interests of the public, and they weigh the wishes of the public, and that's how you make a decision. But we think it's all got to go through Anthony Fauci. And who is that guy anyway? He, he is, by the way, he is this. He is prepared to pretend there's a consensus when 50,000 distinguished people have signed an affidavit to the contrary and had it suppressed in the press. That's despotic. And one thing that's happening here at the same time, and of course I echo all those statements about Fauci, uh, the, the uh, what's happening at the same time that we've seen an erosion of freedom of speech in this country where there are certain things that are just unsayable, uh, I do think that that affects our science as well because as uh, as um, uh, Mr. Per, or Professor, I guess, Bhattacharya has said, that science depends on the freedom of science uh, of scientists to challenge established dogma with arguments and data, the same thing is happening with our speech. And I know that you're keen to this as well, that there are certain things that are not sayable in society. And when we're not allowed to ask questions, when there are limits put on where the mind can explore, 
then we do get to a place where a sort of centrally planned orthodoxy can take hold, whether or not it's true. And that's incredibly dangerous. And philosophically, I think it goes against our nation's founding. Can you speak to this? Oh, yeah. Well, one of the so, uh, you know, what, what you say is a tendency everywhere. You know, if you don't mind what you say on a college campus today, then you can be drummed out tenure or no tenure overnight. And and but think about the science field in particular. I you know, as I say, I've I, I got to know these guys under pressure and they were prepared to help me. And, you know, I said, I did, first of all, I need to know because, you know, I actually don't want the kids dying. And, and if they do, I'll be responsible. So, I, you know, I just watched them and they're masters, right? You know, if you have a great teacher in your life, you think they're great because they have a comprehensive knowledge and they can explain and they do explain transparent. These people are like that. Here's how they say science works now. And remember, these people are all at the top of their field. They've had huge grants from the NIH, but they've watched over the years, National Institute of Health, where the majority, a big, a big majority of the funding in the anything related to health comes from them. And there's a peer review system. And the peer review system is responsive to the leadership of the, of the NIH and the CDC. And so if you put in for a grant, and, you know, scientific research costs money. If you put in for a grant that runs against the grain, only one in ten is funded. Which, which one in ten is going to get funded? And th- there should be a competitive system, right? There should be – I mean, it, it – uh, last night we had a we had this event last night where we launched this on the world had a bunch of people at our Kirby Center on Capitol Hill, and you know mostly I just I was the leader of the panel which means mostly I sat and listened to them talk, and they're so good, and in the middle of it I saw what to do, because what they were saying was there's a few simple procedures that need changing, uh, the 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 scientific grant giving agencies should be required to become competitive. That is to say, if they fund a thesis, they should extensively fund the counter thesis and then let the, te- the testing go on. And it really doesn't matter what the thesis or counter thesis is. What matters is it's looked at from all sides. And there's a conflict of interest in the top of it because Anthony Fauci they were they were making plans before any of this happened. He, he they released a paper at the CDC a few months before the pandemic, and they said we are going to have to change how people live in order to assure public health, how densely they live, where they live. Right, that's a comprehensive state planning function, and and they, you know they and so that means they get power from a centralized system. That is, and, and they're partial to studies that reinforce their power. And that's not even difficult to understand. Human beings are like that. It's why we have checks and balances in the government. Dr. Larry Arns with me, president of Hillsdale College, and he's here to discuss 
uh, brand new initiative that Hillsdale has going on. And uh, Dr. Ron, I want to hear exactly about the new Academy of Science and Freedom. I have a couple more questions about general academic life these days as well, but I, I don't want to miss a chance to plug this. Uh, so what do people do if they want to get involved and support the, the effort? And is there more about it that we should know? Yeah, go to the website of Hillsdale College. What, what we're going to do is we're going to gather up a bunch of people who are for freedom of and in science, and we're going to uh, make, you know, first of all, have some seminars, talk about it in public, write things, and we're going to make some proposals. Uh, I think that there will be a lot of interest in the in the Congress eventually uh, for just some simple modifications of how it's done so it looks at all the sides. And, and you know, that's what's being crushed everywhere in the academic world. And, you know, if you're, if you're not woke, then you're broke. And, and, uh, and so they, uh, they, yeah. they, you know, there's, and remember these guys, their, their background, I don't even know their politics. Uh, they're just excellent academics and scientists and they just want it to be fair and so you know the ways of doing that have been known forever they've just been abandoned so we're going to call for that and i expect there'll be some bills in congress and you know there's a lot of interest in this and in them these three guys and the reason is they were pilloried and and uh, why they were pilloried by saying these lockdowns are not a good idea because we don't sure we know that there will be very harmful effects from them and we know that we cannot stop a virus communicable like this from spreading it's just going to happen and eventually they're overcome they're, they're by the way they'll never be the coronavirus it's the third or fourth such viruses that is in uh, it's broken out in the world None of them has ever gone away, and this one won't go away. What it will do is we will develop defenses against it, and it will moderate itself, which it seems to be doing now. Uh, Each successive one is less dangerous than the one before because, by the way, they're organisms. They want to live. They don't want to kill their host. And so, you know, it's the flu and the common cold, and uh, this is going to be like that. It's, It's becoming like that right now. And, you know, if you're old and sick, you know, if you're seriously sick for any reason, but especially if you're aged, then you've got to be careful about things like this. And when there's a new one, then it's particularly dangerous because nobody has immunity. And that's when you've got to really get serious, like nursing homes. Lord, in Michigan and, and New York and some other states, I think, but I know about those two. I live in Michigan. They they put COVID patients in nursing homes, right? And then they just ran through the place and killed everybody, many people, right? So that's you know so so there's some sensible things to do that will effectively break the power of a cartel that's at the top of all this. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is how we did not have that sort of scientifically rigorous and robust discussion at a national level on a lot of the policies that we've taken that that we took on the coronavirus with the lockdowns which we just 
went along with it for a while. Uh, the masks, which we continue to wear the masks, even though there's negligible, demonstrable uh, benefit they've had, if any. In fact, in many cases, they might have made things worse. Uh, and so this actually, I think, has led to some significant vaccine hesitancy, which I think the vaccines, by and large, have been pretty good. But I think a lot of the public doesn't trust them because the same people who are selling them are the ones who sold us the useless lockdowns and masks, uh, Dr. Arn. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's something offensive about being forced, you know, especially Absolutely. a novel kind of vaccine. You know, and by the way, I'm vaccinated and I've had the booster. And, you know, and why did I do it? I did it because, first of all, I was hoping they would just leave me alone if I did it. And second... These three guys I know for whom I've developed profound respect, what I'm saying is I know their characters. And and they said I should get it, so I just went and got it, right? I'm happy to get it. I'm happy for anybody to get it. What I'm not going to do is make anybody get it. And why? I do not have as large an interest in their health as they do. Nobody. I mean, I you know, there's a college community for which I'm responsible, and I have serious authority over that community. And all along, uh, like, I, I decided that this was not dangerous to the young, and it's, it's proven now. I mean, the fewer people, fewer young people die of this than die of the flu, and not many die of the flu. And, you know, half our student bodies had it, at least. And, and you know, they're going to get it. You know, it, it, all these college presidents who proclaim that they can keep the kids apart, that's just a fool's errand. For one thing, they're living in dormitories. What happens in those, right? They they keep their, in Hillsdale, it's boys and girls separated in, in the dormitories. They keep their doors open and they wander around the halls and they talk to each other all night. And they don't want to be wearing masks to bed. And I haven't made them. And I've said, on the other hand, if you want to do it, do it. Great. <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, I, yes, exactly. I announced... If you want to study from home or teach from home, be my guest, everybody. Well, one, you know, we have 1,600 students. One student studied from home, and we have 200 faculty members and six faculty members taught from home. And and I said, great, do it that way, right? And here's here's a dirty little secret. Uh, John Henry Newman writes, nobody knows anything about how college works. You should just open your eyes and look at them. Uh, he, he writes that if you had – he was a college president. You know, he wrote The Idea of a University, a 19th century man, brilliant man. He said if you had to choose between classrooms and the faculty or the relationships among the students, you would let the faculty go. And so I didn't mind – uh, the bans on in-person campus, uh, in-person in classes, which was stupid anyway. I mean, our governor did it, and it was stupid because they go live in the dormitory together at night. Yes. You know, or you could send them all home, which means if they're dangerous, they'll, you'll spread it across the country. It's just no sensible policy at all. But it didn't bother me much because – all they did was get together and sit in big groups with their computers and watch their computer, their teacher on the computer screen. They didn't care. You know, I, I sat with them sometimes. And, and that, so it, it's all so dumb, right? It won't work. What it will do is interfere 
And, you know, I, I know a man in the restaurant business. He's a hero. Mitch Spangler is his name. But we became the sort of legal aid society to the little businesses in Hillsdale County because we were fighting the thing. And, you know, we got lawyers and fancy people. And they were just, they appealed for help. And Mitch Spangler appealed for help. And I, and I told the general counsel, his name is Bob Norton. He said, he stuck his head in my office and said, Spangler wants help. And I said, okay. And then I called out. I said, Bob, try to stay out of the press. You know, because we got our own, you know, we're fighting a war, right? And, and that night, Mitch Spangler goes on Fox News National wearing a Hillsdale T-shirt and thanking me and Bob Norton. We weren't very good at staying under the radar. But, you know, he saved his business. And the business is 50 years old. And to wipe that out, what are the health effects of that on the employees, on the family that owns it, on the customers? It's incalculable. And nobody calculated it. Nobody said, okay, and there isn't a model to do this, by the way. Try to put all of the effects into a model and have it spit out the answer in the end. You'll never write that model. And anybody who claims to have one is trying to become a czar. And and if you don't, if you can't do it that way, then you can do it practically. Mr. Spangler put up a sign in his restaurant, and he said, none of my employees is forced to be here, and none of my customers is forced to be here. And, and we can't survive if we don't stay open. And nobody is being forced to do anything. And there was a line outside his restaurant for weeks because people cheered him and came and supported him. He had a big party uh, to celebrate that he had survived. And, you know, it was broadcast on the local radio station. And, and he asked me to come and speak. And I was greatly honored to speak. And, and you know, why? Because that's America right there. If people have a natural right to their pro- property, which comes from their natural obligation to sustain themselves. They're, they're blessed with the need to sustain themselves, and they're blessed with the capacities. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, uh, every man has uh, one head, one mouth, and two hands, the implication being that the head should guide the hands in the feeding of the mouth. That's his argument against slavery, see? So to deny Mitch Spangler, you, you'd have to have a very clear, demonstrable reason to do that. And anybody who had the power to do that, even with clear, demonstrable reasons, you'd have to fear that person. And and so that's, the, you know, and I do fear them. I mean, he, he was getting, this restaurant owner, he was getting trouble not just from the health department and the governor's office and the attorney, attorney general. He was getting help, uh, heck from the Department of Agriculture. And, you know, what have they got to do with it? Well, they're a bureaucracy, and something's in the headlines. Everybody wants to get involved. And there's a million ways they can come at you. Dr. Larry Arnigan, president of Hillsdale College, a good points about how some of these things connect. I was thinking about how none of us who don't think the masks are working are calling for a mask ban and people who are skeptical of the vaccines. I I personally like them, but no one is calling for a vaccine ban. But uh, it is one of these things where they want to force us 
the, they meaning the public health establishment and the more totalitarian minded governors and mayors, they want to force us to do things that there's oftentimes not a lot of science behind them. And that is what is so, I think, dangerous as a society. Um, because we have learned things over the pandemic that staying home could ended uh, could have ended up being worse because, you know, you end up getting trapped in your house um, with maybe people who are more vulnerable to the virus. And that might not have been a, a good thing overall. We still don't talk about things like, you know, ventilation, about general health and exercise, diet. So the, the roles those play in the virus, because it goes against yeah. this narrative. And it, I think, Dr. Arn, this will be the last question. It, it isn't just narrative now. It does seem like the way this virus was handled and the way so many things in American life are being handled now, uh, it does make you think of a religion. And I think a lot of the way we look at some of the adherence to um, establishmentarian thinking in our country now is is now almost taken on a religious component to it. The way the the woke nature of our of our education system, uh, the critical race theory, um, the way we've done some of the coronavirus response, all of it seems like we're moving away from the scientific method and we're moving towards a this is our dogma, this is our theology, and we will not waver from it no matter what arguments are put forward. Uh, have we always had this pull in our country? Because it feels like we haven't. We're not supposed to have state-sponsored religions, and yet that does appear to be what's starting to take place, particularly in the academy. Uh, but I, I want to know if you've given this any thought and if you see the parallels that I'm saying. Oh, sure. Well, you know, first of all, the creed of America, the creed is religion is a good thing, and you have a right to it. You may not rule anybody in the name of your religion. Uh, it, it, re- religion, which looks to the next world, you know, and what, by the way, modern science is trying to do is, is install the next world here on Earth today. Well, any religion that claims that it's going to govern by force of law is, is suspect. Don't do it. And that is what's happening. And see, it's, uh, if, if you look at the breadth of this thing, if you look at the way it's covered in the media, Look at the, you know, and those are, look at the way the tech companies, look at social media, look at the Fortune 500, and they look more and more to me like a ruling class. And they do have a dogma. Uh, and the dogma is, the only dogma is we get to say. And I, I think that's, I think it's very dangerous. And I think uh, people resent it. And I pray they do, because, you know, I, I, uh, uh, the next, we have a publication called Imprimus that goes to six million people. If you want to get it, you can have of it for course. free. And we never give your name to anybody else. Wow. And, and uh, so I've written the next one. It's coming out soon. And I talk about these two episodes that I have observed that give me great hope. And one is Mitch Spangler, because it's just nature talking. He built that thing, and his father before him, and his mother now, his father's dead. His mother still works in the restaurant. And they have built that thing with their lives, and they have a right to it, and they don't want to surrender it. And that's nature. Now, look at Loudoun County, Virginia. What, what are those, those, those school districts are threatening to take people's children away from them if they object to the teaching of those children, yeah. things that upset their whole identity, their whole being, right? And, and their response— when they went to the school board to complain, 
was to call the FBI. Now, if people will put up with that, we're finished. But I think we're not finished. I think people won't put up with that, and they ought not to. Dr. Larry Arn, it really is a pleasure to speak with you. And Hillsdale College now has their new Academy of Science and Freedom. You can go to hillsdale.edu to check it out. And I uh, hope you come back and tell me how it's going. Okay. Thank you. Always good to talk to you. Thanks. The interview with Dr. Arn segues perfectly to today's caller of the day, Irving from North Carolina, who called in to express his deep concern that if we continue to lose generations of Americans to a woke, corrupt, even anti-American academic establishment and education system, then we truly run the risk of losing the country. I think he makes a pretty coherent case here by way of a pretty radical analogy. Roll it. Alex, I'd like to share a very quick story with you. In 2008, I uh, accompanied a church group uh, they invited me to go with them on a on a march they called ironically the March of Life, where they retraced the death marches at the end of World War II that they forced the Jews to do as the camps were collapsing. And one night I had a conversation with a man who was about my father's age. He was obviously, you know, in World War II, and I and uh, as I had toured Germany, I'd never been there. It was actually very nice. The rooms were really clean. And, pastries were great and the people were nice and I said to him I said how did it happen that normal people who had jobs and everything else like that became what they became and he looked at me and said it was the children he said I woke up one morning and my country was gone he said the children would go to school they'd come home with the Nazi flag they would hang it up and they have, and they said you had to do this. You had to salute the flag. And he said if you didn't do it, the children would tell the teacher. The teacher would tell the SS. And he said at night, the trucks would come. And he said one night they came for me. What was I going wow. to do? You know, it's so remarkable, and it just reminds you of what's going on in our country right now. Not to say we're raising young Nazis, but we're certainly um, not not raising our children in the right direction. But uh, this is what I've said, Irving, uh, that we went from teaching that America is not a particularly good place, which is what I learned growing up. I'm in my mid-30s. I learned that, you know, America is not particularly good. And then now our children are being taught that America is particularly bad. And next, it'll probably be that America is actually a a particularly genocidal racist place and a genocidal place. And that is, I think, what's starting. And then if eventually the you know, it's a cliche and it's sort of a joke, but it is true. The children are the future. So uh, one day we're going to wake up and most of the country is going to have grown up on thinking America's horrible. And I'll tell you, this is a design. Andrew Breitbart wrote about this in his book, Righteous Indignation. It is the long march through the institutions. It's been happening for 60 years. It's only a matter of time, Irving, before we destroy ourselves from within with our education system if we don't take control back. I I totally agree with you. Um, He ended the conversation because Barack Obama had just spoke in Berlin just before this. And he said he went to hear him speak, and he had to leave because he said what he heard was too familiar. And then he grabbed my arm, and he looked me dead in the eye. He says, are you paying attention to what's going on in your school today? This was 2008. Yeah. And, you know, I started paying attention. 
and how we homeschooled our kids. So, you know, it's it was a, a life-changing conversation. I thank you for letting me share it. I got American Of our callers, we take so many of them on the live show at 6 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 125, the Patriot Channel. If you care for more content, it is available for you also on the SXM app. But that's all the time we have for the podcast for today. Thanks to all of you for telling everyone about us. Uh, everyone you know, particularly if you're heading towards the holidays, getting some time off, uh, then a great time to recommend to people to check out the new show. They don't need a Sirius XM subscription to get it, which is a great way to share the Breitbart content. Paul D'Amelio and Greg Evan are our producers and make me look very good every day. Robert Marlowe helped me pick topics. But most importantly, thanks to all of you for making Breitbart as big as we are, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>